Well, hi again, church. Hasn't it just been a brilliant morning so far, starting right back at 10 a.m. with Greg and Chloe Logan, bringing us kids' church, and then being able to see some of our young people at youth church, and then, of course, joining together in worship. Although we are physically distanced, we're not socially or spiritually distanced, as we join from houses all across Luton, the wider area, and even the world in worship. And let me tell you, I am so excited and pumped to be bringing you the message today. Now, as I said last week, it's a little bit weird being here in an empty building without you here to preach to. So let me know how you are feeling wherever you're watching from. Again, use an emoji or just use one adjective if you're on Church Online, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Let us know how this message is finding you. Are you leaning in? Are you expectant? Share an expectant face. Are you happy? Share a happy face. Are you excited? Share an excited face. I would love to know how I am finding you as I am preaching to you. And of course, if you're watching on playback, you can go and slide in the comments or the DMs as well and let us know how and where this is finding you. So I am going to pick up exactly where I left off last week. I'm in a mini-series that I began last week simply called, How Big Is Your Butt? How big is your butt? And it's part of this wider hashtag follow campaign, looking at what it means to practice the way of Jesus in our everyday lives in the here and now. And don't worry if you haven't caught up on last week's message yet. It's not vital for today. There's still some applications and some practicalities you will be able to pull straight out of today's message, but it will be helpful at some point if you go back because it will give you a wider context for this week and the weeks going forward if you listen to that. So we are going to dive in, as I said, exactly where I left off. Let's get a reminder of the scripture in Luke 18. I'm going to extend the verses a little bit larger because we're going to be looking at a few different nuances this week. But I am going to invite the lovely and the wonderful Ray Summers to come and read that to us. So thank you, Ray. Open your Bibles, church, as we go to Luke chapter 18. Reading from Luke chapter 18 verses 18 to 28. Once, a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But, to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honour your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. 
Wonderful. Well, as I said last week, I find these scriptures in chapter 18 of Luke so fascinating. As far as I can see, this is the only instance in all four of the Gospels, which are the books that tell the story of Jesus' earthly ministry and life while here on earth, that someone approached Jesus with a legitimate need and left in a worse off position than when they first approached him. You see, in all the other encounters we see in the Gospels with people approaching Jesus with a need, they always leave better than what they came for, okay? So they they leave with more than what they came for. They leave healed, they leave free, they leave happy, they leave jubilant. But this man, this rich, young, religious ruler, he approaches Jesus, and I can imagine anticipating great things, and he leaves in a worse off state than when he first approached him. And the big overarching question and theme of last week was asking ourselves, does my but look big in this? And the context of that, if you missed it, well, this man comes to ask Jesus of how to get eternal life. Jesus literally, and goodness me, don't you wish Jesus was this clear in our everyday life? He literally told him exactly what he needed to do and then come follow him. But Luke 18 verse 23 says, but... The man was very sad. I love the use of adjective there. He wasn't just a bit disappointed. He he was absolutely dejected, but he was very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. Not just got a little bit of money in the bank. He was extremely wealthy. And it shows us what happens when we come to Jesus and we come with a need and we struggle with our buts. You see, I believe the but robbed that man in that instance of everything Jesus had for him. Now, we don't know what happened after. Maybe he did a turnaround and eventually he came to follow Jesus. But in that moment, his butt robbed him of moving from a liminal space, a space that went from what was before into what next, because his butt got too big. So whereas this was the overarching theme and question of last week, this week I want to dig a little bit deeper into these scriptures. I want to dig a little bit under the surface and look at some subtleties and some nuances we will probably miss just doing a cursory read of these verses. And I am going to start right here in Luke 18, verse 18 to 19. Let me read it to you and then I want to pull out some things that you may not have noticed or you would have maybe missed before. So once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, that is really significant, so underline that, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. Whoa, has Jesus not had his ready breath this morning? Why is Jesus salty? Goodness me, this is the son of God. And as I read that, that's how I read it. I almost read it with Jesus' facial expression like this. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Almost like Jesus is looking at me like I'm a little bit silly that I didn't realise that. Well, actually so much is lost in translation here. I don't know if you, like me, have ever received an email or a text message, a WhatsApp message, a, a Facebook messenger message, and you can't hear the heart and you can't see the facial expressions. You can't hear the tone of the text message and you're not quite sure how to read it. Is this person being kind? Are they they're being sarcastic? Are they being funny? Are they sad? Are they mad? Because you can't see behind the black and white letters what is actually going on there. You see, face-to-face conversation is much, much easier. And what we always need to do when we have a black and white text and we open our Bible, 
we need to dig a little bit under the surface of what we see on the page. By that, I mean there's so much we miss socially and culturally in the text that we just wouldn't pick up on today, reading it cold as a 21st century reader. So let me explain. You see, when we read the Bible, we need to remember that this is a 2,000 plus year old text. New Testament was written like in the first century AD, okay? Thousands of year old years old and the original audience this was written to they'd understand the culture the subtleties everything that's going on here so when we approach a 2000 year old text what we need to do we almost need to put on a lens of what it would mean to a first century reader reading this text now something you may not know about me is actually i was right from about four years old supposed to wear glasses all of the time. And I mean, not just for reading or watching TV, I mean all of the time. If you were part of the LCF family, you've been here on a Sunday in the eight or nine weeks that my family actually managed to get here since moving here in January, you would have seen my two little boys both walking around with glasses. Unfortunately, they inherited really bad eyesight from me. Now, the nightmare thing is, growing up, I would never wear my glasses. And in my left eye, I am long-sighted and everything is completely blurred. And because I didn't wear my glasses for so long, for so many years at school, I'd take them off and throw them in the bottom of my bag, I'd lose them, I'd smash them, all sorts of things. Uh, I was the kid with the eye patch trying to train this eye to, to sort of develop. My right eye started to compensate for my left eye. So actually, because I haven't worn my glasses for so long, glasses don't actually do that much for me anymore because my right eye has compensated so much. I actually have not just 20-20 vision in my right eye, I have 20-60 vision in my right eye. This eye is phenomenal. However, because I didn't wear my glasses, my left eye is shocking, okay? When I close my right eye, I can just see blurs and colours. I can't read any big signs. I can't really see any faces. It's just a blur. So please, Lord, protect this right eye. And I tell you this because when we approach Scripture, we have forgotten and we've neglected that this is an ancient text written to a people and a culture and a society who knew the culture, the society and the place and the customs of where they lived. And we haven't really bothered too much about that for the most part in the 21st century church. So we've developed our 2060 vision so much in the 21st century way of reading the Bible. And absolutely, there's of course relevance for us straight away in the Bible at a cursory glance. glance. I believe it is a living and active word of God. I believe it speaks to us. I believe the Bible actually reads us back. I believe God talks to us through the Bible. But actually, we only see the periphery and the, the, the first bit of text of the 21st century lens, and we need to begin to develop and look at the first century lens as well. So let's take these verses, because actually Jesus isn't at all having an attitude on here. Jesus probably has had his ready breath. He is actually in a really good mood, I think. What he's doing here is digging at some cultural assumptions that when the first century readers read this gospel, they would understand straight away. You see, good teacher is what the the religious leader calls Jesus. And Jesus retorts, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Well, straight away, the religious leader calling Jesus good was uh, a mark not only of respect, but of reverence. You see, the Jewish people did not use this word good for 
anybody. The word good was reserved simply and only for God because Jewish people understood that even people who live moral lives, even people who got it right 99% of the time, as humans there's an inherent bad in us which we as Christians would call sin. Uh, we know, don't we, as Christians, Romans 3.10 tells us that no one is righteous. No, not even one. Romans 3.20, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have something in us that is as opposed to good as can be, even if we don't see it. Even if for the most part, as I've said, we live moral and upright and good lives, there's something in us we believe called sin that separates us from God. So the Jewish people were really, really careful with how they use this term good. They understood that to be good, there had to be no trace at all, not even a little bit of bad. So they knew God in his inherent character and nature was the only person who was good. So straight away, as we dug a little bit and we've seen this cultural thing here that would have been very prevalent 2,000 years ago, which wouldn't be today, we start to see that the man is actually publicly aligning himself with Jesus' teaching that Jesus was not only a representative of God and a good teacher, he was actually God himself or the Son of God. And Jesus, in asking him, why do you call me good, is emphasising the point to the crowd around him. You see, as the religious leader, the rich and ruler, called Jesus good teacher, I can imagine there would have been an audible gasp to those around. They would have said this prominent man who we look up to, this rich ruler who, uh, you know, is top of society, he is saying that Jesus is aligned to God. So goodness me, maybe there is something in this that we need to pay attention for. So let's go back to 21st century. Let me try and translate this a little bit easier for me. This is how I think the conversation would read if we were to do a Mike Nichols translation of the Bible. And I'll flash this up on the screen a little bit bigger so you can see it. So this is a text conversation, an iMessage conversation between the rich and ruler and Jesus. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And I've put a question mark and an exclamation mark because I believe he's happy. I've also thrown in a little emoji there. And then Jesus replies and he begins with a thinking face. Well, this is interesting that you are calling me a good teacher. Why do you call me good? Again, question mark, exclamation mark. And like a little face in, I know what exactly what you're saying here. And a happy face, because this pleases Jesus. Only God is good, wink, wink. You are saying that I'm God, aren't you, rich young ruler? Let's call him rich for rich young ruler, okay? You know the commandments. And then Jesus in the, the text begins to talk some of the commandments. And straight away, This religious leader, he comes back, well, I have done all of that, and he's happy, he's jubilant, he's excited, because he thinks he's going to get right now that thing he's asked for, that eternal life. Jesus is going to tell him A, B, C, and how to do that. And then Jesus responds, there's still one thing. I love how the New Living Translation translates that. There's one thing you haven't done, and I can imagine Jesus looking sad, because he knows where this conversation is going to go. Everything you have, give it to the people who really need it. Give it to the poor. Then just come and follow me. And what happens, again, that verse we looked at last week, Luke 18, verse 23, but the rich young ruler was very sad because he was very rich. 
And I can imagine at that moment the rich young ruler standing there, he's publicly just aligned himself with this man Jesus in calling him good. He's literally called him God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And I can imagine he's standing there and there's a hushed silence around the crowd. You could have heard a pin drop. I can imagine his face starts to redden as he takes a step back and then another. And then he turns and then he walks away. Wow. Can you see what happens when we dig just a little bit? We can miss so much reading it cold as a 21st century reader. We'll be going back to that in a minute. But I love what Jesus says to him there. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And this is really significant. What Jesus doesn't say is he doesn't say, sell all your possessions and then give your money to my ministry. He says, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And this tells me Jesus isn't asking this man to do something for Jesus because Jesus doesn't need what the man is is offering or the man has. Jesus wants the man to follow him. He wants the man's resource to actually go to those who need it. Jesus is doing this for the man. He's not doing it for himself. He doesn't need his money. He doesn't need his influence. He doesn't need his possessions. What Jesus needs is for him to give it to the people who really need it And then Jesus wants the man to come follow him. This exchange has nothing to do with benefit Jesus other than the relationship Jesus longs for with the man. So go and give the money to the poor, then come and follow me. So there's one thing Jesus says you have to get over and then you are able to come and follow me. And then our verse, but when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. And the point I want to bring out of this whole little segment of the message here is the man knew inherently in his mind, in his heart, in his life, that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was the the representative sent from heaven to proclaim good news for the poor. Jesus was heaven on earth. Jesus was ushering in the kingdom. But what the man couldn't do is put everything he knew into practice. You see, He couldn't put his money where his mouth is. He knew the right answers. He knew it in his head and he knew it in his heart, but he couldn't replicate that in his steps. What's the lesson for us? Well, I believe we all want Jesus to do something magnificent in our lives until it requires us to do something to partner with him. We all want Jesus to do miracles in our life. We all want the breakthrough, don't we? How many prayer meetings have we prayed for breakthrough, God, in my life, in this situation? Come, God. How many times have we said this? Have your way, Jesus, in my life. How many times have we said, God, use me. Bend me, God, to your will. Do whatever you want through me. I am a willing vessel. I know I've said it so many times. But when it comes to the crunch and when I've actually got to do something, The tables turn a little bit because it's really easy to believe God theoretically. It's a whole different story when we got to begin to live that practically. You know, I absolutely believe God wants to give us his best for our lives, but I believe it often requires us to take the first steps. I'll say that again. God wants to give us his best, but it often requires us to take the first steps. That even rhymes, so I hope you remember that. And what I mean by this is if you imagine every prayer you have ever prayed, and when I think back about it now, I think, thank goodness God, you didn't answer every prayer I ever prayed. But imagine God answering absolutely everything we've ever requested. Everything we've put to him is going, yep, rubber stamped it, yep, done. Okay, yep, done. Can you imagine the state of the global church? 
We wouldn't have a church on mission. We wouldn't have a church sacrificing. What we would have is we'd have a big group of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are extremely, extremely spoiled and probably throw their toys out the pram where they don't get their own way. You see, I absolutely believe that God wants to do something magnificent through us, but he wants to see we are as serious about that as he is doing it in our lives. He wants us to take the first steps. And oftentimes, God is such a good God, it's only a tiny step. It's not a big thing most of the time he asks us to do. It's just a little step. And when we take that first step, he usually takes us a mile. But God wants to partner with us. If he just gave us everything we ever wanted, as I said, we'd be spoiled. There'd be no, uh, there'd be no tension. It'd all just be a big, huge mess. So let's go back to our scripture again. I'm going to put my glasses back on because we're going back to first century reading. And this is what Jesus then says to the crowd, as the man has walked away, he's probably blushing, he's probably embarrassed, he's not used to this feeling, he's usually held in reverence and awe by uh, the people of his city, he's disappeared down the road, and the crowd are muttering and murmuring, and Jesus then speaks. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And there's an exclamation mark there, it's a, it's a big statement. Verse 25. In fact, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, and those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? Well, that's a really weird question, isn't it? Well, Jesus is just talking about the difficulty of rich people entering God. And the assumption could be made here that this is just a story for the rich young ruler that we get to look in on, but doesn't really have any relevance. Well, it absolutely does. And I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. But what is going on here is the assumption, again, culturally and socially of the people who are listening to Jesus in its original setting. You see, in Jewish culture and, you know, first century AD culture, richness was directly linked in people's minds and understanding to blessings from God. So where today richness is generally, uh, I don't know, affirmed with families and family of oranges and, and working hard. Well, actually here, richness was assumed that if you were rich, it was because you had favour with God. You had done something good to please God and so then God blessed you with richness. And consequently then, the poor, if you were poor or if you were sick, if there was anything wrong with you, any disease, it's because somewhere, either you or someone close to you, your family member, your mum and dad, had done something wrong to upset God and then he had cursed you. And actually, Jesus, in coming to earth, he turns this assumption on its head. This wasn't a right perception. Rich and God uh, and blessings of God wasn't correct. You see, when Jesus hung around with people, he didn't go to the palaces, he didn't go to the private spas, he didn't go to the golf clubs, he didn't go with the rich, famous, influential people. Jesus was in the pubs, he was in the clubs, he was in the marketplaces, he was with the drunk people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the dregs of society. What Jesus was doing with his very life was demonstrating that, you know what, just because you are blessed financially or you're blessed with health, doesn't mean you are necessarily living right. We've seen the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's what comes out of the heart that actually frames your goodness or, or frames your relationship with God. It's nothing to do with your circumstance. It's about your heart. So 
actually the, the lesson here isn't just about wealth. And, and Jesus is trying to challenge the assumption here that just because this man is rich, that God is blessing him. You see, the broader lesson and the lesson for us isn't to do about wealth. It is far more to do about self. And this is true with the man in Luke 18 as well. You know what? This text in Luke 18, 18 to 30 has been taken for generations, for centuries to frame that God wants his people living aesthetically, which means poor or simple. Whole uh, monasteries and orders of churches and denominations have been built using this passage saying that God wants his people to live poor. Now I don't believe at all that is what Jesus is trying to communicate and you know you would have heard before uh, culturally and it's in the Bible as well of course in Timothy that money is the root of all evil. We need to stay away from money because it is evil. Well actually we're missing the beginning half of that verse which gives it all of its content text. Money is not evil. You can be rich and love God. You can have a lot of money and love God. What is the root of all evil? It is the what? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money, used correctly, is good. Money is what gives us our churches. Money is what enables us to help people. But as soon as money starts to take an unhealthy seat in our lives and everything becomes about money because we love it, that is where there's a problem. And I'm reading between the lines here, of course, but I believe this is what the man's problem was. With all that cultural understanding we've just gained, that, you know, money equals God's faith, the man's issue was self. You see, the man didn't just love money, he loved everything that his money bought him. It bought him respect and honour and it bought people fawning after him and loving him. His issue wasn't just wealth, it was all about self. He was self-righteous. Jesus gave him the commands, well actually Jesus, don't worry about that, I've done it all and more. Hit me, what's next? Honour your father and mother, I've done that. Don't murder. Well, don't worry. I've done that. I've kept all of the laws. He was self-righteous. His selfishness. He had an abundance of riches. He was very rich. What did Jesus ask him to go and do? Well, actually, help the people who don't just want money and resource, but need it. Go and help the poor. He didn't want to do that. He was selfish. When he he left, there was self pity. It was all about him. Uh, Oh, I I didn't get what I came for. This was a rich man. He got everything he ever wanted. And this was one person who said to him, actually, mate, there is one thing you still need to do. There was self-pride, I'm sure. He was prideful in his riches. God has blessed me. Aren't I good? Everyone cooed after him and formed after him. You see, this is our lesson today. The issue isn't necessarily wealth. It's it's the and thing, the God and thing. You see, the man didn't just want Jesus. He wanted Jesus and his wealth. And this is where I want to spend the remainder of our time together this morning, looking at God and. So with this man, he wanted God and his riches. He wanted God and his status. He wanted God and his influence. God and to be formed after. God and to be flattered. And, 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 and. Last week we looked at one three letter word, B-U-T, but a one uh, word, very short, three letters that literally controlled the destiny of this man's life as far as we know. Small word, very powerful ramifications. Well, I want to look at another three letter word that is a small word but has 
powerful ramifications, this word and. And of course you use the word and in your everyday conversation, but let's just see what the definition says about this word. And is a word that is used to connect words of the same part of speech, clauses or sentences that are to be taken. Look at this word, I've put a few arrows to emphasise it, that are to be taken jointly. Wow, there is our problem. You see, God is a standalone word. It's not a God and. God is the creator and we're trying to prop up things so often in our own lives that are are matched up with the creator. It's a created thing. And when we go back to this man and we see his issue wasn't just wealth but self, I want to tell us, well, actually, the majority of our ands in our lives glorify self. I wonder what your and is. Just take a moment now. And think about it, this man's and was and and wealth and 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 pride and 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 ego and 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 influence. What is our and? Is it and wealth? Is it and that relationship I really don't want to let go of even though I have to? Is it and that thing I do that I don't really like doing that habitual sin but I just can't escape from it Uh, and actually it's not that bad, you know? Uh, when, when we start to delve into our lives, all of us, no matter how good we are, how moral we are, how look we good on, how good we look on Sunday or at life group, how well we can recite the Bible, all of us have an and in a varying degree. For some of us, it's a big, massive, huge and, and those three letters are so blinding for us. For others, of us, it's a little and that just pops his head up now and again. But ands are the things that pull us away and divert our attention from where we're supposed to be in the centre with Jesus. You see, when the ands are threatened, that is when the buts start to appear. I talked last week, didn't we, about that liminal space. And a liminal space literally means a threshold space. It is a space between the what was and the what is to come. We looked at that verse in Psalms that God always wants to bring us into a spacious place. You know, with a goldfish, you would probably would have heard the story that a fish can only grow to the capacity of its bowl or its pond. You can put certain species of fish in a bowl and it will only grow to the size of, of the bowl. But once you put it in a pond, it will grow so much bigger because you've brought it into a spacious place. I believe that principle is exactly the same in following Jesus. Jesus wants to always bring us forward. I said last week, we follow forward, but we need to get our ands and our buts in check. And when the ands are threatened, the buts begin to appear. So my big question last week was, how big is your but? My big question this week is, can you identify the and in your life that may well be robbing you of the invitation that Jesus is giving you to follow him into the next thing, to move you from the what was into the threshold of the liminal space and into the spacious place that he has next for you. And I'm talking uniquely and personally, but I'm also talking about us as a church as well. You see, when Jesus brings us to that moment of invitation, that liminal space, just like the rich young ruler, it is in those moments the ands start to flood our mind and the but appears. We're going to go into a worship song in just a moment. But I want to say to you this week, do not sit on your butt and allow your and to pull you out of God's plan for your life. Don't sit on your butt and allow your and to pull you out of God's plan for your life. Well, church, we're going to go into a moment of worship 
And I wonder, you may want to respond to this. If you want someone to pray with you, if something has flagged up in what I have said this morning, or if you're watching on playback, whenever you're watching, we would love to hear from you. Our desire as a church is always to equip people and help people move forward in their faith journey. You may not have even heard of who Jesus is before, we would love to introduce you to him. You may have known Jesus many years, but there's an and and there's a but getting in the way. You want someone to stand with you. I would love that to be us. Please do just fire a message on our social media channels, on church online, or email us at admin at lcf.biz. I'll be back in just a minute over in our studio, but before we do that, let's go into a moment of worship. <laughs> 